1: JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Company. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.
2: Pushkin. Hey, Be Anti-Racist listeners, this is Justin Richmond. I'm the host of a new podcast from Pushkin Industries I think you'll really enjoy. It's called Started From The Bottom. I'm popping into your feeds today to tell you a little bit about it and to share a preview. On Starter from the bottom, I interview successful people who grew up on the outside, namely women and people of color, those who weren't part of the Old Boys Network. They tell me how they beat the odds while also beating away the feeling of being an imposter, and share their best advice for future success. I recently sat down with Charlemagne the God, who, over his twenty five year career, has clawed his way to the top of the radio industry. I asked him what it took, as a young man suffering from anxiety, who was sometimes in and out of jail, to become a prevailing icon of modern media. All right, here's my conversation with Charlemagne. I hope you like it, and if you do, you can hear more from Starter from the Bottom wherever you get your
3: podcasts. For me, growing up, it was, oh, 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 it's the Time Joyner morning show. Because, you know, my mom was a school teacher, so we was up early, early. So I was listening to Time Joiner. And then, uh, you know, Z93 played such a big role in my life because, you know, their original morning show that I remember was The Breakfast Club. Baby J and Tessa, Tessa Spencer. My guest today is
2: someone I've wanted to interview for a long time because of what he's meant over the last decade to the culture. Black culture, hip-hop culture, internet culture, youth culture, all the cultures, you name it. But if I'm being completely honest, the real reason I wanted to sit down and talk to Charlemagne the God is to see if some of his confidence can rub off on me. Most of my career, I've been terrified to bring my full self to work. Out of fear of rejection or fear that I wouldn't be enough. I don't know, I'm working through it with my therapist. But what I admire about Charlemagne is that he seems to not care at all about being rejected by his peers, his co-workers, his audience, anyone. And that confidence has led to some of the most impactful and sometimes controversial interviews over the last decade, as co-host of one of the most popular radio shows of all time, The Breakfast Club. Charlamagne made time to sit down with me in New York City to discuss all of this, plus his upbringing, parenting, and the criticisms that have come with his success, and more. This is started from the bottom, hard-earned success stories from people like us. First time I ever saw you was it was you on the Wendy Williams radio show, yep. going toe to toe with Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like two thousand seven. <laughs> yep, yep. It was one of the most amazing things ever. Yep. And even though uh, you kind of got.
3: Uh, I don't know. I feel like Andrew kind of uh, put it on you that day. It was the, it was the way they edited it too, but it was like, yeah, I, I I had some I had some good ones, but they didn't put all of them in. They put the one about me calling him a fat Fonzie. But. That's right. Looking back, you actually did a lot better than
2: I remembered yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah, but I was yeah. like, dang, like like Andrew, like still got it. I remember being like, oh man. But then that kind of put uh, you on my radar. And then I remember when the Breakfast Club came. I was like, oh, it makes sense. Like this guy mm. clearly clearly had it. But yeah, I want to run through your radar trajectory. But first, I I thought it'd be good to start with growing up. In Monk's Corner, South
3: Carolina? Um, it's interesting, right? Cause, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot more lately. Only because, like, you know, when I'm in therapy, I'm doing like a lot of um inner child work, mm. you know, because I feel like a lot of the issues that you deal with as an adult, most of them directly connect to something that happened in your childhood. Yeah. And so I've been thinking about like what was that upbringing like growing up in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And the the, the word I've come to realize um, that is associated with that, that upbringing is simple. You know, Monk's Corner, when I was young, created a sense of ease in my life that I feel like really helped me growing up because I didn't move too fast and I didn't move too slow. That still is a big, big part of me. So when, like, you know that anxiety that I've been feeling my whole life sets in. I feel like okay, I might be moving too fast, but then I don't want to move too slow. But then it's just a certain ease, like like baby bear's porridge. It's just it's a just right level of ease That's that funny. growing up in Monk's Corner gave me. That I I tend to tap into whenever like things get really hectic. You you mentioned the, some of the anxiety that you 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 have. When did that start? Oh since yeah. early. Yeah, as long as I know. I mean, the first panic attack i remember having was first grade my mom dropping me off like i can feel it right now my mom dropping me off first grade first day of first grade and like i just cried uncontrollably like like i just felt like abandoned lost and just scared like that 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 same you know unexplainable feeling of fear and panic and worry and I think my mom even says that I might've cried for like the first week. I don't remember the first week. I remember that one particular day, but it's like, yeah, that's the first time I remember ever having like a panic attack. And I had them throughout my life. Like I've been going to the emergency room thinking that I'm having a heart, having attack. A heart attack, you know, <laughs> yeah. thinking that I'm dying, yeah. you know, and then you get yeah. there and the doctor's like, oh, did you have an energy drink today? And you're like, oh, I did drink a Red Bull earlier. And it's like, oh, that's probably why your heart is doing that. Yeah, uh, that's the worst feeling. You know, so it wasn't until 2010 that a doctor actually said to me, it sounds like you have anxiety. He literally was like, it sounds like you had a panic attack, the things that you're describing. And he was like, has this happened to you before? And I'm like, all the time, and you know, he asked me, was I stressed out about anything? And I'm like, hell yeah, because at the time I had just been fired for the fourth time from radio and I'm back living at home with my mom at like 31, 32 years old. My daughter's like one or two. My wife is back living at home with her parents, you know what I mean, in Monk's Corner. So it's like I was super stressed out, collecting unemployment checks every week. So in my mind, all I had to do was get back in position, get me another job and all of that would go away. And that wasn't the case, you know? I ended up getting the Breakfast Club gig and having the most success I've ever had in my life. And it felt like all of those issues I had historically dealt with were magnified times a hundred now, Yeah, you know? And so that's when I decided to like, finally go get some help and like go to therapy. What do you think, do you you see that, do you see that same anxiety in your kids? Yeah. uh, You do? I I haven't seen it show up as bad as mine was when I was that age and I think the beauty of life now is not only do I have the language I have the experience so it's just like and I, and I wish that you know somebody had put me in therapy when I was 13 14 now me I definitely needed it because I was getting sexually abused at eight years old I didn't realize that at the time right. I didn't even realize that I was molestation till I was 20 something years old right. you know at the time I just thought I was eight-year-old kid getting lucky. the in the
2: neighborhood, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. like, we, we, would, yeah. All,
3: we would all, we would a bunch of young men, we'd all be around having conversations about older women that we were messing with, you know, yeah. in the neighborhood, like, we all thought we were lying, but clearly we all were, like, telling the truth in, in different ways, right, so, um, when I was 14, I definitely needed to unpack yeah. some of that.
2: Do you think you would have had it at that age? Do you think the trajectory would have been the same?
3: Like, do you think you would have been, ended up in the streets, the way uh, you did uh, probably not and the reason probably not is because you know even with the streets right it's like a lot of that is um you, you trauma bond with people yeah because it's all a bunch of individuals that are missing something and like we all want camaraderie we all want family we all want a crew and it's just sometimes men we trauma bond over bullshit yeah you know so we trauma bond sometimes over crime you know, are we trauma bond over drugs? Are we trauma bond over alcohol? You know, but most of the time it's like, yo, we're all trauma bonding to do the wrong thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's go rob this, you know, individual, or go rob this store, or break into this house, or let's go, you know, figure out a way to get some, a pack to hustle. But it's like, what we're all lacking is like togetherness. Like, everybody, we're all tribal and we all long for family right and right. i think that's what um that's what a lot of guys do when they when they click up in that way so i think for me i definitely was longing for like some type of family structure even though i grew up in a house with an older sister two younger brothers and a younger sister i was the second oldest my oldest sister's like 10 12 years older than me and my younger siblings are like 10 12 years younger than me so i was kind of i didn't have on an island yeah, yeah exactly so i ended up kicking it with brothers who are around my age and we all ended up doing a bunch of dirt and i don't even like to call it peer pressure because i don't believe there's anything i don't believe peer pressure exists i believe we all just want to be accepted you know what I'm saying? And and I think yeah. that when somebody pushes you to do something, you do it because you don't want to let them down. So it's a lot of people pleasing that goes that with that. At that age, especially at that age, man. Yeah. And on. it stays with you, though. Yeah. That people pleasing stays with you. Like, that's something that I had to unpack in therapy. Like, stop being a people pleaser. Like, you know, because sometimes you'll be a people pleaser to your own detriment. Yeah. You know,
2: I can't believe anyone's ever accused you of being a people pleaser, man.
3: No, I think that a lot of that, man, that's because you seem
2: you have strong opinions. Yeah. not scared of voice, on, even if it alienates you.
3: Yeah. It, no, you're right. I've always been that way. Um, but no, there's there's been plenty of times in my life where I just wanted to be down. Mm. I like, literally I just yeah. wanted to be down. I wanted yeah. to be accepted. I wanted to be embraced. And, yeah. you know, I can think about, you know, that time at that moment. Like I just wanted to be embraced by. You know, my peers, you know, so that's why I started doing what a lot of my peers was doing, which was a lot of bullshit. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I wanted to be accepted.
2: Some of that early stuff, a couple of drug cases. Um, the last
3: one was you were around a shooting? That was the or, first one. That was
2: the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First yeah, one was yeah, you yeah. around the shooting. First one, shooting. I was
3: in the backseat of a car and uh, my homeboy was in the front seat. Somebody was driving and we was in this neighborhood like a, like a, like a two neighborhoods over from where we are in Monk's Corner. Two towns over, rather, from where we are in Monk's Corner. And we were just having, you know, some conversations with some young ladies there. And some guys in the neighborhood didn't like that we were there. And, you know, I'm on my fake tough guy shit, my fake hardcore shit. So I'm acting like Doughboy and boys in the hood. <laughs> like, got my hand under my shirt. What's up? What's up, yo? What's up, cuz? Like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Like, what's up? I got a problem, you know what I mean? And they, you know, drove off. we went to like I think it was Burger King, McDonald's. I don't remember. I think it was Burger King. So we went to Burger King. As we were leaving, I see the truck that those guys were in pulling up behind us, and I say, I say my, tell my dude like, oh, this, um, that's some guys from the neighborhood. And so they pulled up on the side of us. So I'm in the back seat of the car. Dude's talking shit out the window. One of my guys pulled out and shot from the passenger seat and. You know, luckily, nobody was in the fourth seat. So it was a driver, passenger, and then somebody was sitting behind the driver where the bullet hit the headrest in the fourth seat behind the passenger seat. You know what I mean? Wow, yeah. All praise is due to God because, you know, that could have been a, a situation where somebody got killed. Now we all in jail for 20, that, 30 years. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so even now when I think about stuff like that, I'm like, oh. Yeah. You know, because I'm a big back to the future guy. You know, you watch those those time heist movies. People go back and little things change here and there and changes the whole trajectory of everything. And so, yeah, that was the first time I ever got arrested. Did it change your relationship with your parents? It didn't change my relationship with my parents. It actually made me realize my dad was right. Mm Because my dad was always telling me if I don't change my lifestyle, I'm going to end up in jail, dead, or broke sitting under the tree. You know, so when I came home... I really was just looking for positive things to do. Like, you know, I I, I started working at a a warehouse called Industrial Acoustics Company. And, you know, from that point on, I wanted to keep a job, but I worked there for like two, three weeks, got fired from there, you know, to to supervise it. I'll never forget her name. Her name was Gail Cobb. The supervisor was like, you don't fit in here. You're not what we're looking for. Now, mind you, my job was literally like, I was clearing out an area, like a wooded area. So I'm like, well, goddamn, I'm not fit to clean out a wooded area, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But she was like, "You don't fit in here." So then I started working at a flower garden just because I was looking to do, you know, something positive. And the flower garden, literally, and now that I think back on it, it was literally a bunch of like migrants working there. Like, you know what I mean? It was a, clearly a bunch of people who, you know, weren't from this country who were just looking for work. work. <laughs> now, 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 looking back on it, that's what it was. It was literally just a bunch of. Like Mexicans and you know who who knows what else like just working there right wow. and so I I was there for like two weeks. Never supervisor's name was Dominique. Same thing. Me and him got into a shouting match because I was just like this shit feels like a fuck. It was a plantation. Yeah, it literally yeah. was a yeah. flower garden. It was actually called the, in the uh, south. <laughs> yeah, it was called the something plantation flower garden. But it literally was just we were out there in the hot sun picking flowers and you know other types of shit. So I I quit that. And then that's when I started, like, flirting with the street. You know what I mean? That's when it was like, man, I got to figure out some ways to make money because, you know, I still got to pay my probation officer and shit like that. And it was just a stupid mentality, right? Because when you're on probation, you got to keep a job. That's number one. Um, And you got to pay your probation fees. So I started just saying that I was working with my dad and I was doing temp services, but I also had got a $50 slab. Mm. $50 slab is when you get $50 worth of, Rock and you know, I think you're supposed to make like, I think it's supposed to be hundred dollars off each gram. So, I think a slab was one gram that you pay fifty dollars for, and you cut it up and you supposed to it, it cuts up into like hundred dollars worth of rock. So that was the first time I like dabbled in like, yeah, hustling. So yeah, did, did I let my did I feel like, well, how did my relationship with my parents change? I, yeah, I thought they were right, but I still was young. And had to figure things out for myself, which led me, me. which led me back, which led me into actually hustling,
2: you know? After the break, Charlamagne's going to take us on a ride through his earliest experiences with radio and how that helped build his foundation in the business.
0: Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? m and has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic
1: Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.
4: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. feels just right don't miss it mark your calendars and be the first to see it march 20th at 7 p.m eastern only on iHeartRadio's youtube channel save the date at new-qx80.com 2025 qx80 coming this summer
2: when did radio enter your life like not on, not as a career but as a listener like what's your earliest
3: experiences
2: with radio like oh. do you,
3: forever forever and the reason i say forever because like when like I said, small town, Monks Corner, South Carolina. So the radio station was Z93 Jams. Mm. We were always around the radio. If it wasn't Z93 Jams, it was another station called WPAL 100.9. And 100.9 was like more underground with it. So they were playing like underground stuff, not the main screen yeah. stuff. And like, you know, there was always like boom boxes around. Like my cousin, you know, my cousin Ty, my cousin Ty, he he was the first person to let me hear like a real hip hop record. Like prior to that, my sister had her radio in her room so my sister was listening to like Kid and Play and Salt and Pepper, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Um Hammer, all the pop stuff. All of, you know what I mean? Yeah. But my my cousin let me hear Eric B. and Rakim paid in full. Wow. And that changed everything. Wow. Like that was like I don't know what this thing is called hip hop, but I love it. Wow. It felt like Rakim was saying stuff like he was telling stories like, you know what I mean? Yeah, d- just, just that is what introduced me to radio and always wanting to be around a radio. It felt like we might have even been around radio more than TV, you know, back in the day. TV it was certain shows we were watching, but we weren't just turning the TV on and keeping it on all day. If it wasn't like Nintendo or, you know, um, the the radio man, we were outside, yeah. like, you know right. what I mean? Running right. around, playing around. So it's like, for me, radio has always been in my life as a listener, like who, who,
2: always. Who are, who are the personalities there? Cause like, I know like in LA and later I came to realize it was like syndicated, but you know, in LA, I always felt like it was like big boy was like, was huge. You yeah. know, and that felt like our guy.
3: Uh, for me growing up, it was, oh, 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 it's the time join a morning show. Cause you know, my mom was a yeah. school teacher. so. Yeah. We was up early, early, so I was listening to Tom Joyner, and then, um, you know, Z93 played such a big role in my life because, you know, their original morning show that I remember was The Breakfast Club, Baby J and Tessa, Tessa Spencer, and then, you know, in the afternoons, it was like, um, my man Yanni the Rude Boy, but then it was like, you know, the night shows, the top nine at nine, you know, you want to call in and... Request a song and hear your voice on the radio, shout out your school, whatever, whatever. But yeah, those were the people like growing up, like Sean, people like Sean Dobie. Like those are the personalities that I would hear. Reggie C, you'd hear these people and they were just like regular voices that you would hear all the time. Ken Moore, like I don't even know if Ken was, was Ken on Z? I don't know if Ken was on Z, but I just these are the voices I remember, yeah. you know, growing up. Like those voices, those local radio
2: voices, when growing up, are as famous as anyone in the country in the Absolutely. world, man, right? Absolutely.
3: Do you remember your first time on the radio? I don't remember the very first time, but it definitely one of the first times was uh, uh, my man Willie Will. There was a guy named Willie Will. He was the night jock there at Z ninety three Jams in Charleston, South Carolina. Me and him used to rap together. I met him at you know a couple of recording studios that were in Charleston. When I got my internship up there, I would always just be up there and I'd be sitting in on his show. And you know, he would definitely, you know, call me to the microphone, you know, and I'd be on the mic talking. So definitely my first time on air, I'm sure was with Willie Will and, and, and in some way, shape or form. Cause I remember one of the, I remember the program director telling him like, you know, you need to get a cardboard cutout of Charlemagne and put it in the studio because your energy goes up, you know, when he's in here, you know, with you. I remember I remember him saying that to him. And um, yeah, which, which probably ultimately led to me being on air because my man Ron White, you know, salute Ron White, me and Ron still talk to this day. Ron was like, he just asked me one day, like, yo, do you want to be on the radio? And I'm like, sure, why not? And so they started putting me on Sundays, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. When you say sure, like, was there a part of you that had, was that just you playing the cool
2: or were you really not even sure you wanted to be on the radio like that?
3: Yeah, I never had thought about it. You know what really? I mean. I just was really happy to be working at Z ninety three Jams because it was like the most corporate thing I had ever done. Yeah, you know, it was the, it was the place. It was a place where, like, in South Carolina, people saw you at Z ninety three. They're like, "Oh, he must be, he must be doing something." You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he yeah. must be doing something with his with his life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for me being like a guy who was in and out of jail at the time and was getting in a lot of trouble and graduated from high school and night school, had gotten kicked out of two high schools. Like for me, that was a big deal for me to be like pulling up in Monk's corner, driving this station vehicle, like with the, the big white van with the Z93 Jams yeah. on the logo, you know what I mean? Pulling it down my dirt road, you know what I mean? Hoping yeah. that some of the girls that lived on my road <laughs> saw me, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like that was a big deal for me uh, back then, so. Yeah. Just to be there felt like you, d- yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, it. I just was just happy to be there. Like so when he asked me to be on air, I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. Whatever's gonna keep me here. Yeah. And of course, when you think radio, you think on air personalities. You're not thinking promotions or programming or anything like that. So hell yeah, I'd love to be on air. Now I can really say I work here. Now I'm a personality and um yeah, I I I really loved it and appreciated it. How was that first show that you had? I was scaring all the church folks because it was what they had me do. They had me do something called voice track. And when you voice track it's when you record your voice and you got to record your voice. And, you know, it's like it's a time slot from like 11 to 3. So you're talking like three, four times an hour, introducing songs, time, temperature, stuff like that. So I didn't know how to do radio. You know, I really didn't. So I was just going in there talking like. Yeah, I was, I was actually screaming. When I go back and listen to my old voice tapes, I was screaming. And it's funny because they all were telling me I was screaming. Like, I'm not screaming. Y'all just, <laughs> y'all just old. Y'all don't understand how we talk. But I was really yelling, like, C93 Jams, RB, and hip hop. I might go by the name of Charlemagne the God. I was yelling, like, screaming at people. And so, like, you know, when I finally started listening to the people who actually do this for a living, I started to acquire a more conversational tone. You know, but in the beginning, I was just yelling, like yelling, like <laughs> literally yelling at people on the radio. And that's what I was doing. And I did that. I think I might have voice track a few Sundays. And then Ron was like, all right, enough of that. You're going to have your voice track on Saturday nights now, 7 to 10. And then you're going to go live from 10 to midnight. And I was everything because it's Saturday night. So I can have this high energy. But then when we go live, oh, I could take phone calls. Now it's like I'm taking phone calls and I'm fucking with people when they're <laughs> calling in, making jokes, blah, blah, blah. So it's just like for me, I the best thing that ever happened to me was I didn't know how to do radio. Right. Nobody taught me how to do radio. I I wasn't a, a person who came from, you know, doing college radio or nowadays you can have a podcast or a yeah. YouTube page. I was just fresh off the dirt road in Monks Corner, South Carolina, getting on the air. In Charleston, South Carolina, on the biggest radio station at the time, Z93. And that rawness showed. I sounded different than everybody else because I didn't have that announcer, you know, yeah. background. So yeah. it worked for me.
2: Yeah, you didn't have that announcer broadcast. That's right. Yeah, pedigree That's right. or whatever. That's you right. were just coming at it with your own angle. That's right. What was your journey after
3: that, after Z? Mm. So I worked there as an intern in 98 started there in 90 uh, 99 from the promotions department to um being on air and then a new station came in the market Hot 98 9 much smaller station uh ran by a guy named um my man George Cook was the program director I was doing part time at Z so I had some conversations with Hot 98 9 they wanted me to come over there and do nights they wanted me to do Monday through Saturday 7 to midnight full time and I was I think the pay was like 19 grand a year Damn. And at the time, that was a lot of money. And yeah. and it was a salary. So just to be yeah. able to
2: say First time on uh, salary, salary like that. Yeah.
3: I didn't go to college. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I graduated from night school and I, like so I didn't just oh, I got a salary now. You're you not know thinking I mean? about it hourly. Like how much I'm making nah, an hour? You're like, nah, yeah, this is I'm just happy to be making 19 grand a year. Like that sounded yeah. like yeah. some shit. And so Yeah, I started working there every night. And it it wasn't even about the check. It was about the opportunity to be on every night. And my man, George Cook, man, who's uh, still a great mentor to me to this day, he actually, George is not only the first person to give me a full-time position on radio, he told me some information that just changed my whole life. And the information was, I want you to have a morning show at night. I want you to treat this night show that you have, like a morning show at night, parody songs and a lot of sketches and a lot of topics and a lot of interaction with listeners via the phone and you know playing new music, and all of that benefited me so well in the future because that's what I ultimately treated every single show like. I treated every single show like it was a morning show. So yeah. no matter where I went, yeah. from Hot 98.9 to the big DM in Columbia, then it was Hot 103.9 in Columbia. Then it was Wendy Williams' show. Then it was my own morning show in Philly. By the time I got to my own morning show in Philly, I had approached every single one of those situations like it was a morning show. So by the time I was ready to do my own morning show, I was over-prepared. Yeah. You know? So it was he planted the seed early on that basically stuck with me throughout my whole career and ultimately led to me being the morning guy I am now. When we come back, you'll get a chance to hear what Charlemagne learned from the
2: legendary radio host, Wendy Williams, and lessons he had to teach himself to achieve success.
0: Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? m and has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic
1: Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.
4: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80
3: coming this summer. Tell me about meeting Wendy Williams, man. Man, I met Wendy uh, because I was doing radio in Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia had a really dope station called Hot 1039. So Hot 1039 started syndicating Wendy Williams in the afternoons. And so Wendy and her husband would come down for station visits. Like they would come down to like see the market and stuff like that. And so I just would break bread, you know? And I remember the first time I even tried to break bread with Wendy, Wendy was in the studio trying to do her show, which I totally understand now, you know what I mean? But I came in there with mixtapes and parody songs, all of this stuff I wanted her to hear. And... While she was doing her show? Yeah, I mean, but she was in between breaks. Oh, right, right. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But now when I under, now understanding the hecticness of a syndicated show, it wasn't like breaks like us where we break for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and got time to bullshit. Yeah. She's on, like, on, 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 on. Like, it might have only been, like, three minutes in between songs. Wendy goes, look, yo, yo, take that mixtape shit out of here. I'm trying to do my fucking show. Take that mixtape shit to my husband. I didn't feel offended by that. Yeah, I was just like, where's your husband? She's like, I think he's, a, he's in that fucking room somewhere, like in the conference room across the hall. Cool. So I went across the room, gave him the mixtape, started pitching shit to him, you know, <laughs> pitching shit to him, and then we started talking, and we, you know, kept in contact from there, you know, and I used to, like, give them the heads up on things that were going on at the station. So he invited me to come up to New York for a party. He was like, yo, why don't you come up to New York? We having a party, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right. Went to the party just to kick it. And in the party, Wendy was like, oh shit, Charlemagne, yo, won't you come to my show? How long you in town? I was like, oh, just for a couple of days. Come to my show tomorrow. I'm like, come to your show tomorrow. Can't tell me shit like that. <laughs> I'm going I'm going to be like, "Yo, all right, who do I call? What do I do?" Right. And so I'm hitting Kev like, "Yo Kev, when did you say come to our show?" He was like, "All right, I bet." So he just told me to he told me to go up there. Went up there, sat in the pink room, the pink the office for a while. Then she invited me on the show. And I was there for like 25 minutes. And literally that evening, they were offering me the position as her co-host sidekick. And they was like, "Look, we can't pay you but we can give you a place to stay. And I'm just like, all right, just let me go back down south and like, you know, figure some things out. Like yeah. just, you know, let my girl know what I'm about to do and everything else. And that's what I did.
2: You knew the opportunity.
3: Yo, man, you got to recognize opportunity even when it's not a paycheck attached to it. So my mindset was never, I never, I never once was like, how much I'm going to get paid? It was like, we cannot pay you, but we can give you a place to stay. I'm out. The opportunity to be on Wendy Williams' show, Monday through Friday, in the afternoon, nationally syndicated show. What are some lessons you learned on the Wendy Williams show? Wendy's er- a legend. Uh, right. no, matter, no matter how you feel about her, yeah. no matter how you feel about her, bona fide legend, one of the most talented people, one of the most talented media personalities of all time. You know, one of the pe- few people who can like literally sit down in front of a TV camera and just go. Yeah. Person who could just sit down in front of a microphone and just go. Yeah. And you realize the reason she's able to do that is number one, she ha- does have just a natural gift to gab. But one of the lessons I learned is that everything is show prep. Like a lot of times, you know, back in the day, we would think that show prep is like just picking up the latest magazine or uh, picking up the latest tabloid and just downloading what's in there. Wendy taught me that your whole life is show prep. Every single experience that you go through can be bought to the radio. Right. You know, every single experience that you go through can be bought. You know, the television. I would watch her. I'd be out with her during the day, watch these things happen to her, and then watch her get on the radio and talk about these things. Like, oh, I was there. And she, of course she's making me part of the story. Cause and Charlemagne said this. Yeah. And Charlemagne was right there. And Charlemagne acted like he didn't see it. And isn't that like and I'm like, God damn, she's incredible. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like she's just yeah. an incredible storyteller. So, you know, um, she taught me how to tell stories via radio even though I was already doing it, but I was doing it more so through sketches. But now just to make your life a story, to make the things that happen to you throughout the day a story. That was like one of the biggest things, like everything is show prep. And the other thing was like, you're either gonna be of the people or of the industry. Because when you're of the people, you're always gonna speak like for the people and you're gonna speak how the people speak. When you're of the industry, like you're going to try to protect relationships and you're going to try to, you know, protect people, you know, so you're not going to have those opinions that you that you probably once had. That was good advice at the time. I think that there's an adjustment to be made in that rhetoric because it's going to come a time where like you're going to be industry. Yeah, you, you get too big. Yeah, yeah, and everybody around you is going to be industry too. I've been in the game for 25 years. So not only have I grown as a personality and a, a businessman, a, 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 a media, just everything, right? Yeah. People around me have, too. Now I got people who run record labels. I got people who are A&Rs. I got people who work at these social media platforms. Yep. You know what I mean? I got friends that are artists, And big celebrities, we all, I've been doing it for 25 years. We all came up together. And not only just the people I came up with, those next generations of people that now I'm in position, but, oh, I see this person coming. Let me embrace this individual, embrace that individual. So we're all industry, you know what I mean? So
2: Your authentic self has to change. It's like- Reasonable doubt was authentic for Jay Z in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, four hundred is like authentic for Jay Z yeah. like today, right? Man, like what that. you
3: just said hit it on the head because people don't pay attention to that. Like, you, you saw me when I was one version of myself. If I had stayed that version. And never grown into anything else, it's no way I'm being authentic. Yeah. Muhammad Ali said the person who's doing the same thing at 50 that he was at 20 wasted 30 years of his fucking life. Wow. I believe that. You know what I mean? It's just like you're, I'm I'm never going to be that version again. But the only thing I could do is be the best version of my authentic self, whatever that may be, whatever I grow into yeah. you know and like yeah. that's why me at 44 you goddamn right i'm not the same way i was at 31 i better not be yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. What i mean i'm my true authentic self right now and yo you realize like the power of the platform and what i mean by that is like man there's just certain things that we got to protect people from because we have these platforms and sometimes the wrong information is spewed over the platform you know and people get hurt because of that. Yep. You know? And I'm not in the business of hurting nobody. I don't want to hurt nobody, and I don't want the person putting out the information to be hurt. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Well, that's
2: interesting because and I don't know if this was necessarily this person being hurt by you, but after Wendy Williams, you get your own show in Philly and you get fired because you bring Beanie Siegel on, who's a who's a Philly rapper. Yeah. If I <laughs> tell me if I'm not getting the story right, but you bring on Beanie Siegel, who's a Philly rapper. At one point, was signed to Rockefeller Records, uh, came up under Jay, Jay Z, and you do an interview with with Beans on the show, and he he says something
3: about Jay that makes Jay mad, and you get get fired. Is that? Yeah, that's the story. The story is that I got fired because Beanie Siegel got on the air and aired out Jay Z, and I, I I'm the one who recorded it. And I put it on air. That's the story. I don't know if that's true or not. Jay never has confirmed. Well, no, Jay, has, Jay never confirmed or denied on air. Behind the scenes, he has said to me, like, did that really get you fired? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And that's the story. Right. I, don't, I doubt that's highly the case. You know what I mean? What I think back then, I think um, I had a new program director was hired, and I think that new program director just wanted to bring in his people. And that new program director, like, he, I don't know, he had his chest out a little bit. I remember the first time I met him, he was like, oh, and you gonna be able to get along? So he came in there on some like snapping the whip shit. Let me get this guy in line type thing. And I think that um, it was a combination of just him being new and wanting to bring in his own people, but also a combination of people thinking they're doing the right thing for Jay-Z. Jay Z's not even thinking about this Jay-Z's shit. Not a, yeah, yeah, he's you not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those things like I, you know, I, I know Charlemagne did this, but we got rid of Charlemagne, and you let Jay know I did it, whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know. I do feel like maybe a higher up might have, might have just pulled the trigger on that firing just to get in it, Jay's good graces. But right. I don't think that was a, hey, I'm Jay Z, I'm offended by this, get this guy off the air thing. Right. No, I don't believe that at all.
2: Okay. Okay. But that does get you fired. And that was yeah. your own show. I mean, that's like your own show in Philly. That's like, and yeah. it's your first time having like your own show that's like, yeah, um, that's that big to that and level. And I was killing.
3: I was number, I think, two in the market. I was number two in the market at the time. And that was in a PPM world. So I was, I was doing great. And it was literally just me and my homegirl, Sasha. Sasha, Suta to Sasha Katie. That's the homie, you know what I mean? She, um, we used to work together when I used to work at Wendy at WBLS. And so when I got my own show in Philly, just asked her, yo, you wanna be my producer? And she was like, Hell yeah. So we literally would drive from New Jersey every morning, back and forth to Pennsylvania, like like an hour and a half away. We would drive back and forth every day. Three I have to get up at three in the morning, pick her up by like four, three 4 o'clock to be there on time. Wow. And we did that every single day. Wow. For like six, seven months. The funny part is I got fired the day I was supposed to move into the townhouse because I was still living in Jersey. So I, me and my wife uh, had got a townhouse and I'm like, yo, this is going to be great now. I don't got to wake up so early. Like I won't have to drive. Like I'm in my, that's what I'm, I'm processing yeah. all this in my mind. We was living in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, on the outskirts of Philadelphia. Going to enroll my daughter in school here, all of that type of shit. And um, the day I got fired, I literally had all my stuff in the fucking, I had a 2002 Escalade with like, 150,000 miles on it. And I had all of that in the in the car, wow. ready to move into the townhouse. Wow. And I got fired on that day, literally that day. And went back to South Carolina, back in Moss Corner for what, a year. What was going through your head at that point? Failure, I had failed. I gotta go back to Moss Corner after being you know, on Wendy's show, after having my own show in Philly, after having these viral moments, after being on VH1 TV with Wendy, now I gotta go back to Vaughn's Corner and collect unemployment for real, because I don't know when I'm gonna get another gig, and now I got a daughter. So I literally was in South Carolina from November 2009 to November 2010. So I was able to collect a year of unemployment. Wow. You know what I mean? I'm living at home with my mom, depressed as shit. You know, anxiety through the roof, just trying to figure out what's going to happen. But, you know, I used that opportunity to, um, there was a new station launching in in Charleston, South Carolina. It was called The Box. I think it was like 92.5 The Box or something like that. So I was there with them, helping them launch the station, helping them write promos and creating imaging for the station. I did the voiceovers for the station. Like, in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to end up getting a shift on 92.5, I'm going to make my 20 grand a year here in South Carolina and we're going to live a great life. Yeah, That was my mindset. Yeah. But, you know, clearly God had other plans because the Breakfast Club came shortly after that. How did that come? Um, When I was in Philly, there was a, there was a time where I had met with my man G-Spin um, before. Me and G-Spin met in a restaurant or something. It was me. And at the time, <laughs> I then... uh. My then manager named, uh was Kevin, Wendy's husband. And, um, you know, he, he don't have the best reputation in the business. Yeah. And so even though we met, G-Spin wasn't really feeling it. And then later on, that turned into a meeting with my man Cadillac Jack. And, and Kev was with me then. And it was the same thing. Like, literally, I found out that after we left the meeting, mad people came from, like, the sales department and was like, you cannot, we, Charlemagne's great, but if as long as, you know, Kevin is his manager, you know, we can't hire him and yada, yada, yada. It'll, the energy will be bad and terrible, all of this type of stuff. I didn't know that, Shit. you know? And then, you know, me and Kevin ended up having a falling out, parting ways. And so I was in New York because um, I had moved back to South Carolina, but I was in New York for a couple of days. And I remember just texting G-Spin like, yo, you know, where you at? And he was like, I'm in New York, where you at? I'm like, I'm in Jersey right now, I was staying in Fort Lee, I was, I was at the Doubletree in Fort Lee. And he was like, yo man, um, he was like, yo, come to the station. And I'm like, "What?" He was like, yeah, yeah, come to the station, come to the station right now. And so I got in, in the rental car, drove, seemed it took me like three hours to get there because it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we was at the GW Bridge for what seemed like an hour and trying to get down the West Side, creeping down to Tribeca. But I finally get there and G-Spin is like, yo, um, my boss, Cadillac Jack, has been watching your stuff all day long. Watching you and Duval with the Hood State of the Union and listening right. to like some old interviews when you was on the radio in Philly. So I sit down with Cadillac and me and Cadillac just have a great conversation. And one of the first things he says to me is like, you know, is is Kev still your manager? And I'm like, nah. You know, and that's how the relationship started. So like a few months later, I got hired on Power 105.1. And I remember Cadillac like, saying like, how long can you wait for this job? And I'm like, for this job, as long as it takes. And so like five, six months later, you know, the wheels really started to move. And were you on him that whole five, six months? Like, yo, like, or oh, you yeah. just, yeah. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just sit back and- No, 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 definitely stayed in touch. Would yeah. send him new episodes of me and Duval show, you know, just, just anything, anything that I was doing in that space I would, cause I we was early on social media. We was all over MySpace and Twitter and yeah. everything else. So yeah, like I was definitely keeping in real touch with him and G Spin. You know what I mean? And sometimes popping up, popping up, you know, and be, like cause I I knew kind of like the gig might be mine. So I was kind of like popping up, and it felt bad because there was like people who I was like really cool with that worked there, and I couldn't say anything, you know, about the conversations me and. Cadillac, we're having, you know right, what I mean, right. and I I had to like lie to some of these people, and it felt bad, yeah. you know what I mean, because I I just couldn't tell the truth because it's business still to be handled, you know, yep. so yeah, but yeah, that's how I got there.
2: That's amazing, man, and then mm-hmm. and
3: then basically from that, I mean, from that point on, you're still there, obviously. Breakfast Club yeah. is... Yeah, 13 years later, man. And what's so interesting is that I, any of them will tell you. Angela Yee will tell you. Envy will tell you. Our radio consultant, Dennis Clark, G-Spin, Cadillac. I was the guy saying we're going to be one of the biggest nationally syndicated shows in the country. Like, like I just, yeah. I knew it. I saw what this show had the potential of being. And like from day one, me, Envy, Angela, we always recorded our interviews. And put them online, that's how I was aware of what Angela Yee was doing. I was aware of what, you know, Envy was doing, you know, right. people like my homegirl Kendra G, Debbie Brown, we were all utilizing the internet. Yep. And so when we got with the Breakfast Club, that's all we, we didn't have no money for marketing. They didn't have no money for marketing, no money for promotions. This was kind of like a last ditch thing to see if something'll work to even keep the lights on at Power 1051. And so all we asked for was a cameraman every day to come in here and record. You know, these interviews, and that's what we did. We started recording these interviews, putting them up online, recording these interviews, putting them on websites. And then at the time, all these blogs and the world stars and all of these different platforms, these websites existed, sending our interviews out. They started posting them. Yeah. Next thing you know, it took off in a real way. And here we are. How do you you manage that? Like, How do you manage the expectation?
2: How do you manage the success? How do you manage what is just out of reach at the moment that's going to be coming up for you?
3: I manage it just by, like, realizing what my daddy always says. You're never as good as they say you are and you're never as bad as they say you are. Like, I've already had my moments of, like, ego. I've had my moments of, like, being that narcissistic, arrogant person that, you know, you can't tell anything to. Whether people realize that or not i'm sure that they did because i'm sure i projected it you know what i mean but i went through that and i went through that at a time where like god knew i had to get over that in order to be where i am now so i knew that i had to start doing some work on myself i was really becoming everything that i said i I, I didn't like, you yeah. know? I was looking in the mirror and really becoming my father. I love my father, but I hated how my father's infidelity ruined my his marriage with my my mom, yeah. you know? And ruined our family, right? Yeah. So for me, I didn't want to do that. And I felt myself going down that path in a real way. So it was just like, let me check myself before I wreck mm-hmm. myself, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. yeah. I won't let you go, man. Last question. If you could pick out one thing that's helped you be successful, that's sort of been with you through every period of your your career, what do you think that thing would be?
3: Man. For me, it would like to really be authentic. And what I mean by that is you're not authentic when you're being a character to yourself. You're not authentic when you see something working for you and you're getting rewarded for it. So you start doubling and tripling down on that thing. You're not authentic when you're being a second rate version of somebody else instead of a first rate version of yourself. And one of the things that hurt me the most is when they started calling me the hip hop Howard Stern. I love Howard Stern. Right. But I didn't even stop to think why they were calling me that. I just took it and ran with it, you know, and, started giving them like uh all of the examples of Howard that Howard might not even be proud of now, yeah, you know for me, it was like a lot of the 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 frat boy creepy ass overly sexual humor, yeah, you know, like i the low vibrational uh-huh. energy is what I was really doing the limbo with, how yeah. low can you go, you know what yeah. I mean, like literally <laughs> like how low Never can you go it. like yeah. literally. And uh, that's the type of shit I was doing. So like, when you go online and you see like videos of me like sniffing chairs or like tying porn stars up and all of that, it was literally for the shock. Yeah. And so like that stuck with me for like man, maybe maybe a year or two I was on that, and then just started to eat me up. Like yo, this ain't making me happy. This shit is whack. Then you got your, you know, your wife. You know, I, I got married in 2014. So you got your wife on your head. At the time, she's my girl. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you out here wilding, you cheating on, you know, like me, and you, you're on the radio, and you're yeah. damn near bragging about word is born. Like, it was that type of conversation. Yeah. I'm like, man, are you tripping? Like, you know, you it's just entertainment. That was my line. It's just entertainment, but it's not. Yeah, It's really not, you yeah. know, because, number one, you're influencing mad people. And in this case, I'm hurting somebody. I'm hurting the person that's the closest to me and you can start to believe your own bullshit that's the worst when you get in the character and you start believing that you really are this dude so it's like for me man that's what made me like really start like going to therapy and like doing the work because i did not like the version of myself that i was becoming so my advice to anybody would just to just be authentic Always leave yourself open to growth and don't be afraid of where that growth takes you. I don't give a fuck what people like about you today. If you're growing into something else tomorrow, follow that shit. Mm. You know what I mean? Because if you don't, you know, you're you're really just stunting your growth and you really don't know how big you could possibly be. You're putting a cap on you. Like you're literally putting a, a limit on how, far you could possibly grow how big you could get because you're like nope this is what they like about me so i'm gonna keep it here as opposed to just leaving yourself open to see what else is out there and how much more you could continue to grow so that's what i tell people be authentic man and just don't be afraid to grow
2: yeah yeah man thanks for bringing your authentic self to everything man i, I appreciate, I appreciate you, it brother. thanks man appreciate you brother appreciate you Charlemagne, through the ups and downs of building a media career in one of the most cutthroat of mediums, radio, has shown up ready to bring his full self to whatever it is he does. And the brilliance of that is he's been impossible to ignore. I want to thank him for that confidence and for taking the time to talk with me. I plan on spending more time working on my fear of being rejected just for being me. Thanks for listening to Started From The Bottom. I'm out. Starter from the Bottom is produced by David Jaw, edited by Keisha Williams, engineered by Ben Holiday, booked by Laura Morgan, with production help from Leah Rose. The show's executive produced by Jacob Goldstein, who's not all up in the videos, for Pushkin Industries. Our theme music's by Ben Holiday and David Jaw, featuring Anthony Ags and Savannah Joe Lack. Listen to Starter from the Bottom wherever you get your podcast. And if you want ad-free episodes available one week early, sign up for Pushkin+. Plus. Check out Pushkin.fm or the Apple Show page for more information. If you like our show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. I'm Justin Richmond.
4: Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury.